Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. Hollywood Exiles, from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the documentary in the studio from the BBC World Service with me, Andrea Kennedy. And this week we revisit the Brazilian artist Vic Moniz, who says he became an artist after a pretty dramatic event. A woman stopped my car and said, you have to help me, this guy is killing my fiancé. One guy had breast knuckles and was hitting the other guy against the car. I pushed him away, he ran, and as I proceeded to my car, the victim picked up a gun somewhere and decided to shoot the first person that he saw, and it was me. He'd been shot in the leg and lost a lot of blood, but his transition to artist after this was not because he had a sudden epiphany, a sudden realisation that he must dedicate himself to his art. I woke up two days later with the guy who shot me asking for forgiveness and asked me not to press charges. I said, okay. So he gave me an amount of money that I used to buy the ticket to come to the United States. And it was in the US that his career as an artist took off. If I wasn't shot, you know, I probably wouldn't be talking to you here today. He's now one of the best-selling artists from Brazil. To give you an idea, one of his pieces, a red Marilyn Monroe, was sold at auction for more than $150,000. His work has been on display at some of the world's most famous galleries, the Museum of Modern Art in New York and São Paulo, and London's Tate Modern are just some of them. He divides his time between his studios in Rio and where I met him in New York. I wanted to find out about Vic's creative process, how he works and how he thinks. He's an ideas man, so he's got a lot on the go. But one of the things he was working on when I met him was his 2017 exhibition called Epistemes at the Sakema Jenkins & Co. Gallery. Each piece in the show contains an illusion, a moment of trickery, something that makes you look again. But before the exhibition opened, there was the small matter of the installation of the works. So, what happens at an art installation? Well, an art installation is like a musician who makes an album or a CD. It is a collection of all the work that you've been doing recently. I do a lot of experimentation in the studio. And the trick is to show the best things you've been doing. And specifically, what are you thinking about when you go in there, when you first step in the door? You have to think of space, uh, light, the flow of the people. You know, you're putting things on walls. You're actually dealing with the way people walk towards pictures. You know, as you walk towards a picture, the picture changes. It becomes bigger. It gains meaning. If you walk too close, that meaning dissipates into some kind of fog. Sequencing is very important because one work carries its meaning to the next work. So normally we tend to see things on walls and read them like comic book narratives. That is important, but also you have to think of time. How long uh, people stand in front of each piece? Some pieces demand more attention. They are more complicated. And you don't want to put a sequence that piece with another piece that demands too much attention. Sometimes you need a breather. Also, 
uh, the pieces have to inspire people to think about the process. In a show like this, every single thing you're looking at, you don't know what is real, what's not. You have to be physically present to, to understand the work. Process becomes really important. As you look at the works, you're asking all kinds of how did he do this? What did he photograph first? What's real, what's not? Photography has given me an opportunity to work with all kinds of mediums, you know, everything. But the reason I haven't done film yet is because I think I'm already doing it in a funny way. When you look at something that moves, your first reaction is actually to sit down to enjoy it, right? When you look at something that is on a wall, your first reaction is to move towards it. You know, it, I, I see my pictures as little short films or performances. There's something, something very theatric and, and cinematic about them because you're making your, the, the little movie yourself. And, uh, you know, the, the, the objective of making a good installation is to thicken the plot. But the thing is, like, the piece is only done, in my view, not in the studio. It's only done when it's in the gallery, when it's, it's has somebody in front of it. Our art, you know, is supposed to happen with these two essential elements, which is the artwork and the public. Wait, wait, wait. let's leave this as much room here as possible. This is more important here, so... Uh, put, it, put it over there, yeah. In the gallery, there are four rooms with vast white walls and Vic's framed images leaning up against them, standing to attention, waiting to be placed by him. Each piece represents a sort of... A, they, they, they tell different stories, you know? Just like you making sense of an orchestra. Each one is making a different little noise and you, you cannot put things that make the same kind of noise together because it becomes a little tedious. This one... If we, if we use it in this wall, it has to be very frontal because it uh, has to be around here because it's, uh, it gives too much information. You look at stuff and you know this looks good there. It's a white wall, you know, what could possibly not look good on a white wall? But then there's the problem, there's something next to it. And then how one thing affects the other, how do you make, create something that is interesting, challenging, at the same time balanced and pleasing to the eye. Você gostou do general, não? O general está ótimo. So Vic, explain to me what's going on here. What's this piece called? Well, this is, it's just called holes. And then it's a picture where holes have been punctured from the back of these thick paper. But in fact, half of the holes are real and half of just pictures of holes that were done previously. So what I do, I, I, I puncture holes in the paper, take a picture of it, and then I print the picture of the exact same size and I puncture more holes in it. And in a way that you cannot discern which ones are, are the real ones, which ones are the fake ones. I mean, I can't help myself, but I have to go close to it and I have to see because I want to know which ones are real and which ones aren't real. You stand back just a metre away and you, you absolutely can't tell I'm 100% fooled. What I'm interested in is, um, why do you like messing with people's brains? Well, I just know that I take an enormous pleasure from doing so. Every time I see people puzzled or confused in front of something that I made, it's like a little trickster kind of a persona that I have. It's like a practical joke or something like that. 
the way people, they, they see the world in very predictable ways, and all of a sudden they become numb. Uh, once you start playing with that and actually force people to see something slightly from a different way, with the confusion that these works bring, comes also an enormous freedom. You, know, you realize that uh, things can be a lot more than what you think they are. I have a piece that's like this, two rectangles of like thick felt, and they, the shadow below the rectangles, uh, one of them is coming from one direction, the other one is coming from a different direction, which immediately makes you think that one of the rectangles is not real. And obviously I betray the viewer again, so that the two of them are actually there, but the shadows are actually photographed in different times. And it goes on like this, and it's nice to be able to, to fool the viewer in different ways. But you have to make it exciting for the viewer so he doesn't get tired of looking at it. But it's also really playful. Everyone who goes up to the picture and then sees what's actually going on, they always come back with a smile on their face, no? Well, you know what? Pictures are mechanisms. As an artist, you know, I don't really think I'm communicating messages. You know, I, I'm not, it's not my role as an artist. In the same way, the role of the watchmaker is not to tell you what time it is. It's just to create a, an instrument, a, a device that tells you time, you know. What I'm trying always to do is to bring a sense of amazement about very simple things. I cannot compete with people like with DreamWorks or, or Disney, you know. I, 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 these people are at the edge of uh, virtual reality. So in my own way... I try to go on the other end of the illusionistic spectrum and I make the worst possible illusions. How could I be fooled with something so simple? That's what I want people to wonder. You get the sense that Moniz is really enjoying himself, manipulating what we see and playing with our perceptions. I've seen him called an image alchemist, which feels about right. A lot of his work is full of photographic illusions. He's probably best known for working in unusual materials, like sugar or children's toys, even diamond dust. He made a whole series of works based on the backs of some of the most famous paintings. He made a perfect replica of the back of the Mona Lisa, for example, complete with a note that reads, This Way Up. This isn't just trickery or gimmicks. There's meticulous study of the history of art, of physics, the science of optics and light behind it. With his Epistemes show all in place, we head back to his studio to find out how his pieces come into being. Make a special... Like a portfolio. Like a portfolio. Yeah, we could make a little portfolio of 20 by 24. It'd be nice. You know? This is Vic Moniz's New York studio in the Clinton Hill area of Brooklyn. It's a huge white room, really light, with two enormous skylights. There's lots going on in here. There's lots of things stuck to the back wall that I guess he's looking at, working out what he's doing. There's a whole load of little model toy cars. There's an enormous printer and... Um, and on one of the walls here, there's just thousands and thousands of books. So, Vic, tell me about your studio. So how does it work in here? What's, um, what's going on? Yeah, um, I like to work at the floor. So the floor is almost pasted from wall to wall to stuff that uh, I'm working on. And when I have these, like, uh, uh, surges, you know, I'd be working on 
10 different things simultaneously, see how they develop. So you just go from one thing to another, like a pinball machine, you know. I was thinking of starting something here with this chalk. Oh, yeah. So on the floor in front of us is a, is a, a Perspex box full of white chalk. What's the plan for it? I don't I have no idea what will come out of this, and I, I just fill this tray out of white chalk, and I have black charcoal laying around, and I know that I want to do something with the idea of contrast, but I haven't quite put these things together into a, a real idea, but it's just from looking at this and thinking about just the way they are broken, they have a, sh- a shape, how much it would sustain if I put charcoal in it, if you get it dirty. And then from this really silly, primitive questioning, some more complex ideas or, or sometimes even profound ideas can come out of it. You know? I want to put my hands in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's very tactile and it's nice. You know the cool thing is when you go and you, you press it and you just look at the noise it makes. Maybe I want to do music with that. I just like the, the feeling of crushing it. But uh, this noise, of, like I remember the teacher doing this. It makes you think of school. It makes you think of writing. It makes you think of uh, things that are broken. When you came yesterday and you brought me some biscuits, there was a broken biscuit in it. You know, I keep thinking of maybe an idea that is it's sort of floating around in my mind like a, a letter soup. They had something to do with this chalk right here. A lot of the work in the studio sometimes is just like laying things around and looking at them until you come up with something. And this is what this tray of chalk is doing right here. There are works that are, when you're making them, it takes months to make, and the really great pleasure is just finishing them. And there are works that just, you have this eureka moment. You just look at something, and that is right in front of you there, an idea already done. And it takes five seconds to realize it. You know? Can you tell me about one of those? I used to make these pictures out of very weird materials like chocolate syrup or marmalade or something like that. And then photograph it and enlarge it. So when you see the material, you have a reference that somehow short circuits the meaning of the picture that you drew with. So you have uh, two types of readings. It, it's present in a lot of psychological studies on optical illusions. I was doing these pictures with chocolate syrup, uh, the scent from the cross from Caravaggio, you know. And then I took a break, and I had the Caravaggio book on my lunch table, and I had cooked some pasta. The leftover pasta that was on my plate, you know, I kept manipulating until I realized that I could do like a medusa. It looked quite well, so I got my plate, I put under the camera, and then I, I shot it. And this was like Monday. On the following Sunday issue of the New York Times, it was like half of the page was my plate of food. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Let me remind you that you're listening to the documentary In the Studio from the BBC World Service with Brazilian artist Vic Moniz. 
I was raised in the slums outside Sao Paulo, a place called Jardim Panamericano. My father was a waiter, my mother was a, a switchboard operator for the local phone company, and my grandmother raised me. My grandmother had never been to school a single day, and she taught herself how to read mysteriously. Nobody knows how she did it. Just by looking really hard at the books, she figured out what one word meant to another. And she taught me how to read the same way she taught herself how to read, by memorizing the entire shapes of words. So I'm a self-taught dyslexic person. My earliest memory is just sitting in the sofa with her, with my finger covering and covering words from a, an Encyclopedia Britannica that my father had one in a pool game. <laughs> we would go like over uh, snake names or countries names or bones in the in the body. She, everything interests her, and I think I luckily I inherited this um, hunger for knowledge that so she passed that on to me very early. So. By the time I was seven and I started in school, I was already reading chapter books, but I, I, I could only read a certain fonts. I could not read uh, cursive writing, and I could not write. It took me six years till I could write a single word of my own, and then when I didn't know how to write a word, I would just make a little drawing. I have a little doodle for each word I couldn't write, and uh, these drawings developed into more elaborate drawings, and uh, before... I knew I was the kid who made caricatures of teachers and, you know, and passed them around in class. I was the kid who drew. And uh, my books look like the Egyptian section of the Metropolitan Museum. <laughs> they look like they were hieroglyphs. Can you talk to me a bit about how you work? Do you have a routine? No, none. And I think uh, it's very important not to have one because it imprisons your imagination to a certain degree. You know, I compare... Uh, the creative process with, like, uh, white truffles, you know? You cannot plant it there. You just have to find it. You know, ideas are like hidden, precious things. You have to know where to find them. You have to provide the precise environmental conditions for them to grow, and you have to know how to harvest them at the right time for them to be at their best, you know? So having a very open mind is, I think, is a precondition. And also, you know what tickles your brain. So this place is, it's a library, basically. It's for, I'm surrounded by books. Half of them are about science. The other about, uh, you know, art and art history and, and, you know, monographies of artists I like. I have, uh, like, a, a cabinet of curiosities full of, like, bones and, and shells and uh, little trinkets, uh, optical toys, I'm surrounded by stuff that triggers the creative process. You know, it makes me think about things. When nothing like of this works, I drive. I know that driving is something that's very good for me to think. So I, I have insomnia. I, sometimes I'd like to drive at night, like 4 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I take long drives. One of the other places where you can see Vic's work is at the 72nd Street subway station. He's put up on the walls a series of mosaics of people waiting for the train. Some of them are looking slightly bored, checking their phone. There's a guy with jeans, cowboy boots, a white vest and a cowboy hat, and his little dog's next to him waiting for the train to come too. And if I carry on down a bit, one of the people here is a commuter he looks like a guy who works in the city but actually that face is the face of Vic Muniz a little self-portrait that's going to stay here at the tube station 
What do you think of the um, of the artworks on the wall here? They look completely real. When I first seen them, when I first first seen them, I was like, "Who's looking at me?" You know. Then I realized like this is just an amazing piece of art. It's a lot different than the other subways in New York. Gorgeous. It's very uh, talented. I, I like it. New York is so great. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you was. That piece that you did where you sent a plane up into a big blue sky that had a smoke trail coming out of the back and drew clouds in the sky, where did that idea come from? People love to see a drawing being made. So I wanted to take that to sort of a broadcasting proportion. You know, so say you make a picture in the sky that people don't know what it is and they see a little plane and it's drawing slowly and you follow the line to see what kind of picture that's going to make and then it closes out and it's just a cloud, something that you would expect to see in the sky one way or another. And the wind sort of makes it move slowly, so you're looking up and there's this drawing of a cloud moving in the sky. It's pretty pathetic, but at the same time very effective. It makes you think of a number of things. And When we did that, we started doing this in uh, 2001, over New York City, the same year of the attacks. Now, it's, it's just think that it's impossible to actually get a plane drawing little clouds in the sky without it being in, downed by Air Force. But uh, it was amazing because I, I was getting calls from a lot of people saying, I saw your cloud, I saw your cloud in a reflection of, a, of a, this glass building. I saw your cloud, I'm doing my nails here. I look up, I see this cloud, I think it's you, is it you? I said, yes. And I think that, that was my idea of public art at the time, something that was just happened very uh, surprisingly in front of you and then go away very quickly, you know. For Vic, a work of art is complete when it's in front of an audience. So I headed back to the gallery for the public opening of his exhibition. Just outside, there's a little crowd gathered, so I head in to see how it's going. What do you make of the show? It's very happy. It's so happy and so playful. You know, we have enough sad, tortured artists in the world. It's nice to see somebody who's having fun and is happy. So colorful, so vibrant. And I was telling them that my eyes are throbbing, but I mean that in a good way. Yeah, the, the dissonance is awesome, though, because it draws you in. Like, you can't just walk by it. You have to go up and look at it closely. Otherwise, you wouldn't. I mean, you can't tell what's going on. It's beautiful. It's a fantastic show. It's something yeah. else. You go from one image in the piece to the other and you don't know what you're looking at. If it's real, an imitation is a photo or what. She makes you totally out of balance, basically. Hey, how's it going? Very good. It's a lot of people here. That's, that's what it's all about. When it's filled with people and people look like they're, they're looking very, very close at the pictures, that's, you know, that, that does it for me. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time, these big shows, and I have a catalog resume. It just takes like over a thousand pages. I, I just find it funny because this is the things that worked. The things that didn't work, obviously, they're not in that book. And you need like a book the size of, a, of a, the Cyclopedia Britannica if I had to put out everything that didn't work, you know. I remember I, I spent like a week making a drawing with thread. I had just finished this drawing, and I had uh, put like at least 18,000 yards of thread on top of this. And I said, okay, finished. I'm going to go out for lunch, and then when I come back, I'll shoot it, right? And I left the door open. I had a cat. The cat 
just made the whole thing into a huge ball of thread. When I came back, I felt like killing the cat. You know, I didn't kill the cat, but I actually hated the cat for so long, the cat probably killed himself after. <laughs> and what about when you can't work? Is that frustrating? I don't know when I'm not working. I don't feel it. Even when I'm in a plane or if I'm watching a film, it's a 24-hour job. I don't, I don't get frustrated by not working because I can, even when I'm not doing anything, even when I'm sleeping, you know, Good ideas come from dreaming too, so I don't, I, <laughs> I don't think I am ever off. Now, you heard Vic say that he has insomnia. He's often up at peculiar times of day and has a particular fascination with sunrises. So I asked him if we might be able to do one of the recordings for this documentary at sunrise. I was hoping we'd end up on Brooklyn Bridge or something similar. But Vic went one better and called up his friend and fellow artist James Hyde, who fired up the engine on his little speedboat. And off we set before the crack of dawn with the temperature reading a bracing six degrees. Me, Vic, James and their friend Barney and Boca the dog. Okay. Where are we? What are we doing? We're in the middle of the New York Harbor to watch the sunrise. So what's your thing with sunrises? You quite like watching sunrises, don't you? To think that you can watch a star coming out in the horizon every single day. It's probably the most amazing thing a living consciousness is going to be experiencing. You know, and It's different. Every single place you are and every single day is completely different. You're a man of ideas, that's your business. So where do you find them? It's a, it's a state of mind. That if you're curious enough and you're open enough you know, and you put yourself in crazy situations such as this, you know, like being in the middle of the New York Harbor on a small boat with a dog, it will come to you, you know, it's, it's yeah. inevitable. And uh, it's insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the sunrise. What's pleasing to Vic Mediza's eye this morning in New York? Well, it's pleasing to be here to realize that we're living another day. Although the sun hasn't come up as a perfect sphere in the horizon, it's beautiful still because we're here. There's a nice dog with us here. <laughs> but I wouldn't miss this opportunity for the world. So shall we? We can, we can do it. No sunrise. You've been listening to the documentary In the Studio from the BBC World Service with me, Andrea Kennedy, talking to Brazilian visual artist Vic Moniz. And Vic's next exhibition called Scraps, which develops some of his ideas from the Epistemes exhibition we heard about, is on at the Sikema Jenkins & Co. Gallery in New York from the 22nd of March. Thanks for listening.